Mark is from the United States and he is a sadness prevention coordinator. And I love that description too. It, I think it is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And we need more people like you out there, Mark, no doubt. So welcome onto my show. Oh, it's great to be here. The, um, uh, yes, I am SPC approved, the Sadness Prevention Coordination Council. So we're, just, we're just making this all up, everybody. You know, this is the fun. This is got, he's got the wheels turning. I just talked to him before the show. Because what do I call you? No one wants to stay. Stand-up comedian is just so stale. Oh, not on one of these guys. But yeah, Sadness Prevention Coordinator. <laughs> And it is it is amazing. So Mark and I we we met each other on a on a forum uh, about podcasts and where we both learned more about about the podcast world, which was new to me then. So and Mark has has sent out a, a, a media one sheet, which is basically just a sort of a description of himself. And I immediately got attracted to his story which is a story of transformation and a story of, of hope and of not giving up and believing in yourself and going out there, kicking ass, chipping away on that big block of marble until you have created that reality of the vision of the, the, the little dream that you once had. And the difference between a dream and a vision is, is really action. The dream, if you don't do much about it, well, it will just stay like that. But if you keep chipping away, suddenly you find yourself in places that you never thought possible. And that is so true for recovery for with alcohol or recovery from any addiction with regards to dealing with your problems. Hell, with regards to gardening as the principle of the five-minute gardener. Every day, do five minutes in the garden. Not more, not less. Five minutes in the garden. Hell, after a month, your garden will look like you don't know it anymore. And it's the same with our lives. And no doubt, okay. Mark, you would, have, you would have had to work hard. So tell us a little bit about, about your life. Uh, quite a while ago, before you are, you are the Sadness Prevention Coordinator, Well, uh, I was born in uh, Los Angeles, California, uh, to a, a teen mother. Uh, she was uh, um, uh, with my father for about a year, got pregnant, and uh, at that time, you know, it wasn't common for single mothers, so she decided to give me up for adoption and uh, ended up in a, uh, a great home with uh, my mother, uh, Lucy, a Mexican-American woman, and my dad, uh, Bud, a, a, a young, uh, young Jewish man from... Uh, Utica, New York. They've been together for uh, 66 years. Uh, next week. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Wedding. Yeah, as we say in America, they've been long enough, uh, they've been married so long, their marriage can collect Social Security, which is our retirement. So, <laughs> so uh, that was my, uh, my, my genesis from the beginning. Uh, didn't, I, I found out, I always knew I was adopted. I, uh, but I didn't meet my birth mother till I was uh, 26. I was working for state of California at the time. Mm. Got a, this is in the eighties. So pre computers, you know, not a lot of, you know, social media, no, no social media. i got a FedEx uh, a package and a handwritten letter from the, the from my uh, birth mother, uh, Linda. And it was pretty amazing because we uh, met about a month later and she shared so many characteristics, uh, her posture, her, 
eating habits or mannerisms. And it's amazing to see the balance, be, you know, between, uh, you know, your, your environment and your genetics. And I, I certainly feel, you know, there's, there's something to that. And I know, especially when it comes to addiction, there's those, you know, environmental triggers, there's the genetic triggers. And, and fortunately, I think I, I had a, a good basis. I was, I was able to avoid a lot of pitfalls in, in life because I had a good, good balance between those, uh, those two uh, uh, backgrounds. And if you think about it, the, the home in which you ended up, uh, the, the mixture between the Jewish faith and the Mexican chupacabra kind of uh, women uh, from, from very homely to exploding uh, volcano in no time <laughs> would have been would have been a very interesting yin yeah. and yang kind of situation at home. Was oh, your, definitely. Was your mum quite? <laughs> she was. She she still tries to rule with an iron fist. You know, she's <laughs> she's ninety one and she's she's still uh, you know she's gets in there. Oh oh uh, oh did what happened? What's that on your face? You know what? Is, oh. What is, <laughs> She's still still looking for that perfection, but you know what I mean in in a, in a loving way. I mean, my dad couldn't be more uh, uh, humble and gracious, and yeah. uh, she definitely was the uh, <clears throat> she definitely was the uh, dictator for life. He was a puppet president. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Did comedy play a role in in your household? Did they talk jokes or? You know or? what? This is crazy. My dad. I don't think I have ever heard my dad tell a. A joke in his life. Now he's a funny guy. He'll, he'll you know laugh, and he's not a storyteller, joke teller. My mom a little bit. So, but you know, we always grew up. We had Bill Cosby records in the house, uh, and, and Fat Albert, and uh, and I was really big into American sitcoms. So yeah. I came up in the '60s and '70s. I'm 59 now, so we had this uh, entertainer, Flip Wilson. I really like variety shows. I loved the writing of uh, uh, shows like All in the Family and Good Times. Yeah. And Norman Lear, uh, who is uh, still with us, I think he's 96 years old now, uh, the, the producer of these shows. And and I always had a, an, an interest in writing. I always loved things that make me laugh. But I was a serious kid, you know, with Catholic school and just, you know, nose to the grindstone. And I, I had a couple little flashes of, of entertainment. I was, in second grade, I got to play uh, St. Patrick in the, in the uh, second grade play. I, I, evidently, someone discovered my theatrical talents and then that lay dormant for another 30 years so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent well okay so your school catholic catholic school uh where not too many jokes are being told at least officially um but then at one stage you would be uh finished you you graduated what what came thereafter well i went to uh college in san diego uh university of san diego which meant i spent uh, a lot of time partying in tijuana mexico to be honest, so. <laughs> you and so many others, yeah. please, and so, it does. It doesn't matter Tijuana or or anywhere in 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 Heidelberg or in wherever. You're a student, you party. End of the story. Right. So, so we got through that. Uh, I, w I I got a degree in international relations. So I, I, I wanted to be a diplomat, and then uh, I. I got back into the writing. I'd done some college uh, sports writing at the uh, college newspaper. My buddy and I started writing some screenplays. We're trying to sell those. And, cool. Yeah, I didn't really get too far. We had some interest. Hey, right, we want to see some more. You know that. But, you know, I didn't dig in. This is one of my, you know, I tell people, you know, hey, you, you may make some mistakes. It'll cost you a few years, but, you know, you, you still have that, that chance at, re at, at recovering. As, instead of getting into that, 
back then that's when they had the mail rooms and you read the script and you, you would network. I didn't do that. I just tried to do it from the outside. I've always been a bit of that outsider. I think that has to do with being adopted. So my other friend talked me into taking a job at the state of California. I used to be a, a, a Department of Motor Vehicles driving examiner. So when you turn 16, which is our driving age, I was the guy in the, with the clipboard in the car giving you the test. <laughs> so went from that, fast forward uh, 15, 14 years later, I said, I got to get out of here. My buddy taught, talked me to opening a, a driving school. And we also taught uh, traffic school classes for people that received traffic violations. You could go to a class. People thought I was funny. So they're like, oh, you should do comedy. And then I started trying to write jokes, be funnier in class, trying to recruit some stand-up comics, end up taking a comedy class. And uh, here I am uh, 21 years into the 50-year comedy plan. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, how do you become a examiner? Do you, do you go through your own training Uh, in the sense of what I'm after is really the stunt driving, the bodyguard driving, the chauffeur driving, the hardcore offensive driving skills. Uh, is that part of your DMV, how to, to, to go about it? Well, the, the examiner portion, when I worked for the state, we, yeah. we pretty much, you took the civil service test, got on a yeah. list, interview, and then they took us to a class in Sacramento, our state capital. I was living in California. Yeah. And they They just trained trained us for like three months. And then you went from, we'd go out and take, test each other, be in the car. And just, <laughs> so I'd always be the right. one messing up a little bit to see what they, and then. <laughs> Same with me. Same with me. I was, and then I'm, we, yeah. yeah. No, no, sorry. You keep going. <laughs> no, no. And then we ended up in the car where we had to take the student out and the guy was in the back watching us. So it was like, uh, the poor kid, he's got a, two driving examiners in the car. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, that doesn't end good, typically. <laughs> oh, good then, on them. Oh, well, I ended up, yeah, but I ended up working in a, in this town of uh, 3,000 people with no stoplight. So how, you know, it was it was a pretty kickback job. You know, I, I worked in Santa Barbara area for a while, then I decided I wanted to move to Northern California. And I get there, there's no there's no computers in the office. There's, this is 1988, something. Mm -hmm. They're typing on typewriters. All the other offices in California had computers. I'm like, it was like stepping, it's like a Back to the Future episode. And, and you know, the, the characters there and people was, oh, you must have a ton of material about DMV. I said, no, I kind of PTSD and beat it out. So I don't really talk about it. But, after, you know, it did give me some, I think it gave me a lot of repressed comedy and Uh, and, and desire to, to create because you're in such a structured environment, you know, to yeah. just break out of that was awesome. You know, we didn't have these kind of outlets. Maybe back then I would have started a, a driving examiner podcast or, or written a blog, but you know, I mean, there's so much opportunity now and I, mm. I love the, uh, the technological uh, uh, innovations just to be able to do this. You know, we're halfway around the world and we're like, we're sitting in, in, in your living room. Exactly. Uh, that's amazing, though. I mean, if I listen to your story, it's very clearly that there was this fire burning inside, that there was this drive to, to uh, there's this rebel that was sort of trying to knock on the door from the inside, go on, where can I get out here? And you found that outlet in your comedy. And, and I guess to a certain degree, you make others happy. And which makes you happy. I think that is sort of a, a common theme, isn't it? That that comedians are often not the, the happiest people themselves deep inside. Uh, many comedians 
unfortunately struggling with mental health problems. And I actually don't know the, if the statistics, I don't know what the story is. I certainly know that the doctors have got a, a huge problem with burnout and, and mental health problems and addiction, et cetera, and, and suicide and broken marriages, et cetera. You name it, we have got it. Um, I don't know what's the story of, amongst comedians. I did see I did see an article several years ago that they said there was a, a higher incidence of mental illness mm. and I believe and or substance abuse. Mm. So I mean it doesn't doesn't surprise me. First of all, you know, it's it's somewhat of a renegade uh antisocial activity. At least is it this is how it started out, you know, uh in the seventies and eighties when the comedy clubs came around. I mean we had right. the the old stars from the you know the thirties and forties, the Jack Bennies and the Bob Hopes. And they were that corporate, you know, came up in the movie studios. And, yeah. and then, you know, it's a pre-19, pre-World War, or Vietnam War and Summer Love. And after, you know, post-Vietnam War and Summer Love, it was kind of like, you know, free-for-all here in America. Like, well, I want to go do this. And I'm going to do this and screw the man. I'm going to say whatever I want to. And, uh-huh. you know, so we went that the kind of that Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor transformation. So there was a lot of guys that came up and the money, there was a lot of money. I started later. Like I said, I started when I was 37. But in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of money thrown around. A lot of people were paid in drugs. And so it took out a lot of folks. It's kind of a sad thing. You know, you're in comedy clubs, so there's there's always booze. There was always coke around for these guys. So unfortunately, you know, you combine uh, the substance abuse and, and mental illness and a lot of lack of structure. So, you know, some people thrived and got through it and, and became successful. And, you know, sadly, you know, like you say, because the pre-existing conditions, uh, there's there's a number of folks that. You know, it it it, uh, it didn't end well for him, but uh, thank goodness I started when I did. I don't know, you know, that I wouldn't have uh, gotten swallowed up in that. And I was a little more mature when I when I started doing comedy. It was more of a business to me. I mean, I wanted to do it, it was a hobby, but I understood the process rather than just just go out there and just uh, uh, you know flamethrowing, diving all the way in. I I kind of took it step by step and tried to be strategic about it. Oh, fantastic. Well, how are you strategic in a town of 3,000 people with no stop sign? Exactly. <laughs> how the hell did you get out of that? <laughs> how did you get your first gig? <laughs> well, like I said, I, 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 con- I said, I need comedy. I, I was teaching these classes. I was trying to expand my business. That I need more instructors. and I'll get comedian instructors because people want to pay extra for the comedy traffic school. And then... Uh, I go, I call, so I start, you know, it's back in the phone book, you know, back in the phone book day. So I'm some sort of comedy producer and I call the, this place says, go to this last unlimited comedy club in Sacramento. They, uh, uh, talk to the, they have a class there and you meet some comedians and there's some, so what do you mean comedy class? So I went and, uh, uh, it was a lady that wrote for Ellen DeGeneres show. Her name is Karen Anderson and another friend of mine, uh, Del Van Dyke, they were teaching this class. I said, well, I'll sit in on the class. Cause I had to drive two. I drove two hours and two and a half hours just to get there. Cause I lived up in way out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Northern California. And I sat through the class. They said, okay, after the class there's an open mic. So, well, you know, I'm here, I guess I should just get up there and, and try it. You know, why not? You know, all these other people are signing up. What I got. To, so I think there was, a, you know, nine students and seven audience members. Maybe it was on a Wednesday night. And I got up there and I, I, I thought about, started thinking about it because I said, I'm going to take the class. So I'd written a couple ideas out and I think I did maybe three minutes, but it was, it was the best feeling I got up there. Not that everyone was laughing, but it was, I remember two ladies specifically in the middle of the audience where they, they, they just got the biggest chuckle out of a couple of my jokes. And I said, I got to do this again. It's just, 
you know, it just, it just hit me. I was like, oh, I'm coming back, you know, and I'm taking this class. <laughs> and, my, and my wife at the time, and she's like, well, you're, you're going to take a class. You're going to, this, this four-hour round trip. And then we got, you got, the, you know, the, the business to run. And this, so I would just start going back and forth. And I, I didn't know there was no real, uh, you know, there's no career training book you read first. You just start winging it. But the instructor... Uh, he took a liking to me and I probably cause I had a car and gas and a valid license. And, uh, you know, we, we went up to Oregon and I was touring around doing, uh, shows and bars where I had 10 minutes of material and I was supposed to be doing 30 minutes of material, but he said, I ah, don't worry, I'll cover for you. Right. So you get these little breaks along the way and yeah. things kind of unfold where he's like, Oh, I guess I'm supposed to keep going. You know, <laughs> roadblock. Oh no. Well, there's a crevice there. I'll call through that crevice. Oh yeah. Uh, river. Well, oh, there's a, there's a little bridge. I'll, uh, I'll hang on there. And, and just kind of cobbled this career together, but it's it's not been a traditional one because I didn't start and you know start or move to like an epicenter of, of a comedy like Los Angeles or New York. I mean, I've been down there, I've done stuff, but I didn't immerse myself in that in that situation. And I still uh, look back and say, well, you know, on some days I'm like, well, I really needed to dive in. The other times, I'm like, well, I'm glad I did it my way, and oh. you know, it's. Uh, it's brought me, you know, I think some, some more peace that I would have had if I'd been down there. I never liked that whole, you know, grind and have to kiss up and, you know, network <laughs> constantly, which is good and bad. I mean, mm. if you have people skills, you know, that, and you can, and you can use them to your advantage. Great. But, uh, you know, comedy's got a lot of introverts too. So we, mm. we, uh, we like our own, our own space. Yeah. Mm. And it's hard. I mean, I, I, I feel you, I feel you, my friend, because the, for me as a doctor, it is very, very strange to market myself. When you go as an author out there or as a, as a podcast or YouTube channeler, you become an influencer. You want to you wanna put yourself out there. And that is very much against the grain of me. Uh, maybe I'm a bit more introvert there myself, but also against the, the grain of my profession because advertisement of yourself in New Zealand is not is not allowed. So there are very strict rules there as far as my services as a doctor goes. Yet here I am as an author and as a, as a guest of a, of a show, uh, very different things. And it's, it's, I feel the, the resistance in, in me too, to just go out there and say, Hey, here I am and approaching everyone. Mm. I, 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 something in me doesn't want to do that. So I can see where you were coming from. And as an introvert, it is bloody hard. And you come from, and you come, like you said, from a structured environment. Your mm. medicine, I was government, and mm. to go for that, so just hey, you call the shots, you make, you know, you paint the picture, you you make all the decisions, you know. Whereas you know, you have protocol and, and structure. <laughs> and, true. You know, it's true, true, it's. True. So maybe we're both in rebellion. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh please, please. I always was. Always was. Uh, nowadays, I'm structuring my rebellion a little bit more strategically. You're, you're a conscious rebel now. <laughs> yeah. Now, you, you were, we were both saying it is, it is a challenge. Here you were working the government job. At one stage, you actually left to do full-time comedy. Well, was, actually, there was, there was a transition because, like I said, I, I started a driving school, traffic yeah, school. So yeah. I was able to do that. Oh, I see. And, I see what you and mean. I was, so then I could start saying, well, you know what? I'll do these students Monday through Thursday. Then Friday, I'm going to drive see. to Astoria, Oregon and make $50 for a 12-hour drive. And then Saturday, I'm going to make another $40 to go to uh, uh, Winnemucca, Nevada. 
but you know, it's just like, it, it's, you're, you get, once you get that, I, I had, you know, you don't realize it's not even about the money at that point. It's like, yeah. well, I'm getting paid. No, you're losing money, but you're doing what you love. And suddenly the, the economics of it just kind of goes by the wayside. You know? yeah. And that drives you, isn't it? It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But I mean, in order to do so, you need to be disciplined. I think, yes, there is, of course, this hothead and you want to throw out your jokes. But having driven eight hours to your gig, you might have had some road rage accident incident in between. You're coming there. You're absolutely dead tired. You just had a phone call from someone who gave you a full broadside. And you're now 10 minutes before the gig. You want to strangle someone. You want to actually to to rip his head off and <laughs> do things with his torso that we should not really talk about. Um, the, the bottom line is, how do you change yourself? What is your process? To what's your mask? How do you put that mask on? Well, I think at that one point you just get to that like, okay, now this is now I'm at work. Get out the get out the. I always get out the set list and start writing down and trying to memorize my jokes. Or at the, when I was early on, get that napkin. Once I started writing things down, I was just able to pretty much shut that off. And which is hard to believe in my ADD brain. And and that would just 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 right there. You become here's here's the material. Okay, there's the stage. There's the audience. You just have that that three that little triangle to worry about. And I think it, it's, you don't even know, it's, I always tell people, it's like one time I, I got food poisoning. I don't even know how the brain works sometimes. We went, we stopped at some sleazy state line casino somewhere, ate a steak. My buddy said, you're going to be sick. That steak's way too, too rare. You know, me, my little bravado, ah, I'm fine. It was, we're eating at one in the morning. We're going from one show to another. No business, just terrible food. And the next day we were golfing, which I don't, I don't do very well. We were just having fun. I got sick, ran off the golf course. I was sick for about five hours straight. And then he's like, well, uh, you know, if you can't do the time, I understand, but you know, you're not getting paid. And I'm like, oh no, I'll, I'll do it. I got up there and for that 30 minutes, no trace, my stomach was fine. I, and I, I'd been sick continuously in the bathroom. And it's like, you go into this other world and, you yep. leave, and then immediately after I got off the stage, ran to the bathroom and I was sick all night, <laughs> almost died. So, uh, brilliant. I think, so, yeah. It's just this unconscious. I don't even think it's a conscious discipline. I mean, I mean, for some there is. I'm not. I'm not sure. I have. The, I mean, I. I think I do to a point. But there's something just, 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 just. Uh, you know, physiologically, that can take over there. Your body says, oh, I, I have to do this," and it's. It's like you just see that. That's where I'm headed, and it's. You know, it's like they got the plane on autopilot, or the the Tesla's going up the highway, and that's. You don't really have much much choice. We might make a little a couple lane changes, but. You're committed. I think it's just that it's just once you make that commitment, this is this is what I'm doing, and I can step aside, separate myself momentarily, and then you know I'll go back to that when it's over. And thank goodness, you know, probably like a surgery or a procedure, you know, in that that time, your brain, you probably the same thing where you can just focus, and then you go back to like, oh, where's the chaos? I'm done. Let's let's get let's dive back in. And I think we all have that ability as human beings, some of us shorter periods than others. And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's why I love the comedy. The discipline of comedy is so different than say the discipline of medicine or, or, or law enforcement. I mean, I have the, I have the, uh, um, bandwidth, the, the bandwidth, but I have the, the, um, ability to make a mistake and make fun of myself and keep going. You know, you don't have that ability when you're, 
you know, you're dealing with a, a patient or, or a medical situation. And so I, I really feel blessed in that I can find something that's like, hey, you know what? Even in the moment you're making a mistake, I can I can make it right. No one's getting hurt. Whereas, you know, I was so used to like with student drivers, you know, give them a wrong direction and we both get killed. So I, I mean, to me, it's that's one of the most cathartic things about it is is the the freedom to uh, to fail, basically. And I've I've done that many times on stage. <laughs> uh, but same here same here as doctors it is yes 10 percent of our, our work is hardcore life and death okay wrong cut and and yeah patient dies uh the the, the other 90 percent is is being out there talking to people and doing clinics doing all these kind of things and we do make mistakes as well And I think that we are increasingly recognizing that it is so important to accept that and to understand that you can't be 100% all the time. And we are, as doctors, most doctors are bloody perfectionists. You should see it. I mean, I, I remember one meeting where a colleague of mine had dealt with an incredibly complex case and the case didn't end well. And there was a tiny, tiny, tiny bit that potentially could have been criticized, but really only potentially, because in the whole fog of war of that emergency, bloody hell. So he did actually very well, but you should have seen himself beating himself mm. up in the meeting when he realized that, oh, that potentially, if I had just spent now half an hour thinking about that more in depth, completely forgetting that the whole thing was a disaster as it was. But it was that self-flagellation, that self, oh my God, I made a mistake. Oh my God. And it's so destructive. It's so, so destructive. And I'm hoping I, someone writes a book like Escape from Perfection or something. Because like you said, that that quest for perfection is very destructive and it's, it's hurt us yeah. all in our, our times, you know? And it is, we all make mistakes. And if you then can turn that around and make something positive out of that, that's the most beautiful thing. And I'm sure that, that your audience, that there will have been situations where you really stuffed up a joke and you look at, at someone in the audience and you then play on that and mm -hmm. keep going with doing that. And that yeah. rescues the whole thing. Yes, you have made a mistake, I, but the audience is still laughing because you carry yeah. them on and bring them back into where you want to go. I'll never forget, there was, I was doing a show one time, but it wasn't really even my mistake. There was a, a young man in his 20s who was a special needs uh, gentleman. And it, he was not, not quite understanding everything, but he was having the best time at the show, but he would laugh at all the wrong moments. It was just so beautiful. He would just, ah, it would be the setup to the joke. And everyone's like, what's going on? It's, so we're just laughing when he laughs. So we just, we had, they went at the best time. They just, they acknowledged him, what he was, and they acknowledged me and it with the situation. I was like, you know what? This is, this is beautiful. This is not even about me. It's about this guy's just having the best time, you know, and, and you get those moments and it's oh, like, beautiful. That, that, yeah. It's just like, you're, you're, you feel really blessed where you can say, man, I was, that was really fun to experience. You know, it wasn't even a, a standing ovation or anything. It was just, just a, just a, a moment. Just like, you just, okay. I'll always remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> And that's that's the power of the moment, isn't it? Uh, you have to to you you had the choice there. You could have become really pissed off. You could have become really angry, which then would have 
basically put your right. whole delivery at an edge. It yeah, is this your son? Can you calm him down? Quiet. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. Get exactly. him out of here. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that would have been the end of it. Even if you then would have told the, the 10 best jokes of all times, I doubted that the audience would have been with you. But you showing the human face, you show him, you, sh you, you managing that situation was the most beautiful thing you could have done. Audi audiences are pretty forgiving if you are, but if you're, you know, if they see a comedian turning on people, they can, they can turn and rightly so, you know, they can, it's especially when you would get, you get a heckler. I mean, I, you're so, you guys are so polite in New Zealand. You probably don't get that too much, <laughs> but you know, you get a drunk person and, yeah. uh, or you just get someone's having a bad day and they don't like your joke. And especially in this, in America, we get some very sensitive times here and everyone's just touchy and, and just yell out. And, you know, and, and if you had, you know, if they say something, inappropriate or out of turn and you smack them too hard you lose the audience if you're too soft and they say oh this guy's got the look at he's taking over the show and what's wrong with this comedian if you hit him yeah. too hard you lose the audience so you, it's it's i love it because it's like you're on this tightrope the whole time and uh if you can if you can pull it off it's like oh okay that was good i gotta do that again interesting One more time yeah you're ready for that next you know so, okay next next show bring it on <laughs> and it's hard isn't it it's the how do you deal with criticism and especially how do you deal with criticism that is thrown at you very publicly like here in 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 a room where there are 100 people there um so tricky 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 and i haven't had that much you know what it's the in-person uh shows I've, I've had some you know really bad shows but not where people are like boo get them off the stage type thing well you know you might have one heckler more of it's the, the you know the industry and the and you you take as a lack of respect and people like okay you know uh, why didn't I get picked for this show or that show or did this showcase that's the ones that are really you gotta you know when you get to me when I get with the audience that's almost my safe space you know what I mean it's like okay I'm back to I'm back to the normal people <laughs> I'm not dealing with uh, you know TV executives or, or producers that didn't meet their their need exactly or their demographics so. Uh, you know, at the end of, at the end of the day, it's that, that, uh, you know, contact with the audience, it, it trumps all that. I'll take, I'll take that over the, you know, the business end anytime, but you know, the, the human contact, but you know, it's just so unfortunate you got to do both, you know, it's, it's all a business. <laughs> well, that's right. Isn't it? That, that's, oh, please. I feel the same. Uh, give me my patience and I'm a happy man. The politics and the bullshit that goes on behind the scenes, uh, is something that can drive you nuts. And yeah, it is. Uh, but I think everyone who is listening or viewing us out there will will feel exactly the same. Doesn't matter if you're a mechanic in in a, in a business or if you're a comedian or a doctor. It is. If we could just do it without the people, it would be mm -hmm. just nice. But it, we we shouldn't forget one in ten people out there have got a personality disorder. And many personality disorders are, are not so nice. In other words, the people. But you're saying that's ide identified, or is that just an estimate of overall? No, that's pretty much. That's pretty much. If you were to take the the DSM, so the the, the medical yes. book that gives you the diagnosis and put it onto each and every person, then you would think probably about one in ten, mm -hmm. and probably one in hundred is a psychopath slash sociopath. Um, so that's quite interesting. So there are some nasty pieces of work out there and they often masquerade well, but they let rip at the worst possible moment. 
and that might be in your show. Or that well, might again, be a, yeah. Again, some people don't like the fact that they're not getting the attention. You have the jealous boyfriend. Is like, I'm not. I'm not hitting on your girlfriend or wasn't uh-huh, she's laughing uh-huh. at me and oh he's uh-huh. funny isn't he well what about me you know it's just you don't know really people yeah. for they're having a yeah i mean that's there's uh-huh. there's just you know that we're just i don't know and some, some it's the human human spirit to me on one hand we're so resilient on the other hand we can just become so quickly so frail and just that you know if we get <laughs> it's almost like the you know i used to do martial arts for a while you get that person just right just, just knock them right over with very little force you know so uh, mm. my, my, mine is, I'm just trying, I'm just trying not to get knocked over, especially, you know, this, <laughs> we're a little bit behind you guys, obviously at the, uh, the Corona pandemic. And, you know, now I'm looking at our, our Americans, we're getting banned from going to Europe and other countries. So, you know, my work, I work on cruise ships. So for, mm. the, for the foreseeable future, I'm just like, well, I don't think, I don't think, uh, I'm going to be, be able to work, you know, if, if I want to. So it's really, uh, the, the dynamic has really changed and, and trying to how I'm trying to approach life. And it's not so much preparing for shows, but it's still trying to be working on being more present and, mm. and, and trying to really work on my writing and, and realize hey, it's really my, my energy and my thought process has to, has to, if, if I can't get that under control, this, you know, this thing, it just sweep me up and, yeah. And uh, you can, you know, really be in a bad in a bad way because so many people are are dealing with uh, financial, emotional turmoil. You know, isn't it? And and we need to reinvent ourselves. This is uh, this is a time in human history that we will look back on as bad or worse than the nineteen eighteen pandemic. Uh, we will kill millions and millions and millions of people. The figures that we see now are bullshit, absolute bullshit. Whatever you read, make that times 10 or times 100 probably. And whilst that might sound, oh, come on, you're exaggerating. Well, think of all the the, the refugee camps, the, the poor areas uh, around the mm-hmm. world where no one will ever test you, where people are dying like like flies. Yeah, if you have villages, you have people exactly. living in jo- indigenous people in jungles, they're not going to be counted. In these you know, exactly, and it's it, yeah. yeah. We had 1918. We had here uh, in in New Zealand, it got pretty hit pretty bad, and uh, it was the indigenous indigenous people who got hammered, the Maori. Mm-hmm. And we have got traditional meeting houses, and uh, the, they essentially. We're bringing the influenza people, the bodies in. Uh, mm. They had to change their tradition because they would normally kiss the dead and then pay their respects and then uh, bury them. Ultimately, no more kissing, come in, hello. And then next next to the Marai was a mass grave where there would mm. be you know, just the next one in, the next one in, the next one in. That was how bad it got. And that is something that yeah. got forgotten here. It is, it is sort of known amongst Maori elders, but it's not something that is, that is put out there. But that was mm. the reality in 1918, 1919 here for us. And in many, many, many parts of the world, we have forgotten that. We had the blissful nothingness or we had some, maybe actually had some pandemics in the last hundred years, but they were nineteen fifty six. That's right, right, exactly. No one gave really much damn about it. But now we are suddenly hammered, and we will see 
a change in the way our world is. And that is that applies for comedy just as much as it applies to, to every aspect of our life. But having said that, people will still do stupid things. We have got still do, we've still got leaders who want to fight wars. So they send soldiers still across the, the globe to some little known place where they lose their lives. And you actually have got a history there, haven't you? You actually have been there uh, being on a flatbed uh, uh, truck uh, getting your head shaved, I think. Was oh, the... yeah. So it's a little <laughs> odd to say, talk about doing comedy in the middle of a war zone. But uh, here in the United States, we have Armed Forces Entertainment, which is uh, one branch of the, the military uh, that puts on live shows. There's also USO, which is kind of a semi-government group with, with more well-known comedians. In fact, we did a show one time. This is during the Iraq War, 2005. We went to Bahrain, which is pretty much like 15 minutes by cruise missile to Iraq at the Navy uh, headquarters. Yeah. And we show up there at like two in the morning. We stayed off the base. It was really unsettling. Usually we have American uh, uh, personnel pick us up and we stay on the base. And there's like a lot of times there's a bodyguard. There's nothing. Guy just showed up in a van, only spoke Arab, Arabic. And here we are, these two knuckleheads. It's 2 a.m. or time change. We're all discombobulated. And he just drops us off at a hotel, I think, you know. And then we show up the base the next day, and, and Robin Williams was there with a, a, a couple of actors and the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. They're doing this big show. The same day, we're going to do our little uh, comedy show up in, in the uh, in the food court. Yeah. So, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, great to bump yeah. into Robin Williams. I mean, you know, I didn't get to I didn't get to meet him that time though. He was under heavy. We were. I did meet him later. I met him a couple times in the Bay Area. He used to live up by San Francisco. He's, he's a great guy, really, oh. truly, a, truly a, um, a gentle soul, you know, and he's, but just, just nonstop. I think that was, you know, really almost a blessing and a curse when he was just, you know, almost brain just, just where you get to that, you can't stop creating and mm. wind down. But uh, but leading up to uh, I, the next tour was, uh, or I think it was two years later, I went to, uh, Iraq, and we end up in a Marine Ford operating base. They'd had some casualties like two weeks before. Morale super low. Says, "Oh, we got to do something different instead of just doing the regular jokes." So I get this idea. I said, "I should shave my head." My hair was like this long, right? So my buddy, my buddy's ex Navy guy goes, "Oh, we can find some clippers. It's a Marine base. Everybody's got clippers. That's all they do is cut each other's hair." So (laughs) 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 they shoot people and. They shoot and shave. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we uh, we got a couple of clippers, and one of the sergeants uh, came on the a flatbed. I was doing the jokes, and oh, I got some special guests, and they come up. They got the razor, and I'm telling jokes, and it's and then they got one guy one side shaving, the other one, and then my I just had a fistful of hair. I held up, and they all went crazy, and I was like, yeah, that was a fun moment, yeah. But I didn't bring any. Uh, uh, protected from my head. It was like it was like 130 degrees. This is Iraq, like in August. So I had a little bit of scalp burn for the rest of the trip. Yeah. So. yeah. Welcome to my world. You wear a hat. You put on some some yeah. sun, some screen. You know, you're you're prepared. You know how that works. Oh, wow. you know? So that was a. Yeah. How were the soldiers? Were they do they appreciate you coming? Oh, there? more yeah, more probably more than in any other shows because you know, they're out there for nine 12 month deployments at the time and mm. haven't seen family and just bored and you know, there's repetition and so 
you know, we didn't even have to be that fun. I don't even think my shows are that good, but they were good enough. These guys were happy to see us. You know, I was still growing as a comic. That was, you know, 12 years ago. I'd think back some of the stuff I did then. I was like, oh, that wasn't that funny. But, you know, we were, we, uh, you know, you, you had, there was, there was a way you had to improvise. Like you'd be, they'd have a, a show schedule. It was nine in the morning in the cafeteria because they were going out on a mission. And then they said, hey, we got some guys over in the, uh, Mechanics Bay, they couldn't make it because they're working on a, a truck. Will you go talk to them? We end up doing a show on a little tool shed and a, on a bench. And, you know, so you just you just try to be present and just roll with it. And, and I, I was just like, yes, let's just do it. You know, that, that's always my old thing. As long as we were speaking, I trust them. They're keeping us safe. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. It's fine. You know, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Wow. Uh, this uh, would have been very much an experience. And, um, um, I'm in awe that that you had the guts to go out there, and it's it's a very honored tradition amongst comedians, isn't it? I mean, there is if you read any any uh, n not novel, any memoir from a soldier in Vietnam or from a soldier in the Second World War, uh, they will always talk about the the moments when someone came along and gave a show. And uh, it is, it was a very memorable thing for their deployment. And it is, it is actually very, very beautiful that this tradition continues mm -hmm. and that there is at least a bit of recognition. Of yeah, the in, a way, in a way, it's sad that we got to go out, let's, we got to go perform in a, for, for troops that are overseas fighting a war that we don't want to be fighting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for whatever reason, they're enlisted as a volunteer or whatever. Hey, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't make the, the decision they're just you know trying to do the best they can and mm -hmm. and 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 you get some people really you know hung out with some uh gentlemen and uh marines in japan that had just gotten back from afghanistan iraq and it was you know a lot a lot of a lot of uh uh mental carnage sadly you know what i mean where they just started to spill in their guts to us and they felt comfortable you know telling what happened and you know show there's many things they didn't share but you just feel for this at that young age and you know the with I, I feel so blessed that I'm able to do this and tell a joke and walk away. No one's, you know, no one shoot at me when I'm up on stage telling jokes. You know, it's a, it's a relatively safe career and and I certainly feel like, hey, if I'm you know, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna try to do it to the best of my abilities and mm -hmm. and and have the most fun I can. You know. I think so if I'm true. having fun, it's better. It's it's the audience knows that and it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's contagious. We know, you know, you're around people like yourself, you get this good energy and you can't help but, you know, have some, have some positive energy coming back at you. So I think that's whether we're comedians or physicians or, or mechanics, you know, I think we, every one of us, every one of us can, can make someone else feel better, whether it's a joke or a smile or, you know, story, so whatever. Important. So important, isn't it? And that's, that's where I strongly believe into the notion that, that, you want to be courteous and and nice to everyone from the CEO to the cleaner. And I, I try to treat everyone in the same way. And it is so beautiful to know that I put a smile on their face and that, that smile is honest. And maybe my little smile, my little friendly good morning might actually just pick them up enough to get on with their life when they're really down and out. And that is actually a very powerful notion, a very powerful feeling that I embrace and that I hope this, this kind of the picture of, of one smile 
putting a smile on someone else and then yeah. smile on someone else. This little notion of, of one little deed uh, actually <laughs> does not get punished, but just makes oh. the, the flow on effect. Well, like that's the that. one sad. That's the one sad thing that I, I I do. You know, there's so many sad things about this Corona pandemic. But you know, in the states, we're still pretty much it's mandatory or voluntary masks. You know, all over. I don't know where you guys are at, but you can't see people smile anymore, and it's very. Mm. This is super disconnecting. You know what I mean? Isn't it? Isn't and it, you yeah. just have this, yeah, because so much comes out of the uh, out of the mouth and facial expression, and you can't. Mm. You can't smile with your eyes. Maybe we'll learn how to do that. Maybe we'll have to start. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> remember, you're talking to a profession where the only thing we see is that. So we are actually quite used to to yeah. falling in, in, in love with eyes. But there are some damn good jokes out there, some uh, some some uh, good memes where they say, please be careful who you fall in love with. And you see the mask and the most beautiful uh -huh. eyes, and then the mask comes down, and and not such a beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we need to be careful. That's the same with doctors yeah. and nurses. So we we yeah. we believe in that. Having said that, ninety five percent of communication is nonverbal. So you're so right. So therefore, that makes it hard. And uh, we in New Zealand, we have eradicated uh, COVID. We have I not. Saw that. Yeah. So we are so blessed. And yeah. Well, you have, have you have real leadership there, too. Your prime minister, she's done a great job. And your people, you know, it's really the people are on board and say, hey, we're yeah. in this. We got to yeah. make this work. And yeah. we have this streak of, you know, independence and anti-government sentiment. And we have a conflicted uh, uh, executive who's not sure, you know, he wants that he wants to be totally in charge, but then he wants to wash his hands and anything goes wrong. So, you, you know, when you don't have leadership, you know, this is the. This is what we have. We got, you know, a lot of chaos. So hopefully, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what will change on it, but hopefully we will. Uh, yeah. I think we are up. preaching to the choir, the two of us, if we now uh, talk about the, the federal government. Uh, what about in your own state? Uh, is there, how is it being run there? Well, the governor's he's been very uh, proactive. You know, now it's a mandatory mask. They've had yeah. to scale back some of the openings. But, yeah. but this is Nevada. It's kind of wild westy, ready. He right. had, you know, he had armed protesters showing up at his house Ugh. outside to threat, you know, threaten him. You know, I will show you. And his name is Steve Sisolak. They call him Governor Sisolak. It's just, it's just a meme. It demands, you know, you, you can't, I can't imagine the stress you're going through. It was mm. bankless. The states, you know, there's no income coming into the state budget. They're cutting mm. everywhere. Everyone's unhappy. Mm. People, you know, and don't, I just, I just think, hey, thank you. Thank you. You know, I mean, and, uh, uh, most people are grudgingly, I think they just see the numbers keep going up. So even the, you know, there's less and less grumbling now. The, you know, the, the, the anti-maskers are mm. fewer and far between, but uh, there's still some out there and there. We have a neighbor, we have a neighbor, uh, like a community website and where people, you know, post about lost dogs or whatever. Mm. Of course, now it's all COVID. Mm. This is, this is a sad, sad thing we had to share with you real quick, not to get sidetracked, but. A lady posted the other day, oh, I was so disappointed. I went to Little Caesars Pizza. This is maybe two weeks ago, and no one, none of the staff was wearing a mask. This is terrible. Uh, this is before, it, then it became required. It was like two days before. Uh, I'm definitely not going to go back there again. This is, and I'm going to talk to the ownership. And the guy said, uh, oh, good for them. I'll be, I'll give, be giving them my business. Government doesn't need to tell us how to live our lives. And it was like, you wear, you wear a seatbelt, you wear a helmet, and then a, 
you, you drive them the certain side of the road and it's, you know, I mean, and it's just, mm. you don't, you don't know what to do. It just makes mm. you sad for humanity when you, but uh, you know. for us, look for us, it is so bizarre to look from the outside into uh, America and see this kind of fight between second amendment and first amendment. Uh, and you just think, um, hmm. Well, yeah, after you had the Moss shooting, it was you, you, what was it a yeah. month later? Guns yeah. were banned. Uh, the, the, but, the that's, yeah. but that's a completely different story because the, the problem is that, um, after the semi-automatic rifles, maybe a quarter, ended up in the government's hands and that is from competition shooters etc I'm, I'm i was a competition shooter prior to that um and uh, so we handed in our our semi-automatic rifles uh okay. guess where all the the other 75 ended there we have armed single-handedly we have armed our gangs with semi-automatics no one yeah. wants to tell talk about that so yeah. there are problems with knee-jerk reactions and the problems mm -hmm. that 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 had occurred here but so wait, but, is, wait as a shooter are you still able to have a competition semi-auto then or no no not no. even for no wow. that, that was it so that was but it it was you, basically the government disarmed the people who ah. were were having the, the farmers the who used it for pest control the well, yeah. all Farm. everyone everyone was basically disarmed and these are the good guys with firearms licenses and and often very highly vetted because we are we we are there with the police we are shooting competitions we are going you know on in national mm. tournaments and stuff like that so um, oh, I understand. The, yeah. So mm. yeah, my, my knee-jerk reaction is, oh, yeah, that, you know, yeah, mm. that, absolutely. There's always, so, a, there's always that, a flip side. Yeah. That's right. So, so it's interesting. Having said that, having said that, she took leadership. I might disagree with that, but she took leadership, and I have to give that to her. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see it then. I was pissed off, and like many of my 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 friends who were really deflated, and and re, we were grieving for the loss of our. Uh, our hobby, so to speak. Yeah. And um, so there was that. But then she took the same leadership when it came to uh, COVID-19. And with that, she has saved thousands and thousands of people's lives. And I cannot say anything against it. Mm -hmm. It is, I'm, I'm proud to be a New Zealander. I'm proud to be under this government. And whatever I disagree with in the past, the leadership needs to be needs to be lauded for what it was. Right. So absolutely. So I agree with you. Well, and I'm I sorry to hear that. I, ho I hope you guys get back to. Well, is there a chance you'll ever get back to where the the clubs will be able to keep the the yeah. armaments locked I'm, away? I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I think that's There's, a Canadian. Canada has a similar hmm. legislation. There's somewhere between this this uh, disarmament and the states, so they hmm. have a real strict. Yeah. Transport and all, I think but, this is. I think we are getting sidetracked into a different oh yeah, topic sorry. there. No, no, no. Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. I was just saying it is. Uh, you. I think the important bit is there will always be things that you disagree with, and in your in your country at the moment it is people disagree with. I have to wear a mask. That is an infringement of my freedom. Versus. Um, people who don't like the guns and uh, it is it is everyone has got his own his own pet thing that mm -hmm. he is worried about and fighting about and i think 
there is there is a saying that we should just repeat again and again and again to each of us. And the saying is, your rights and at the tip of my nose. If you you can you can fight for your rights, that's absolutely fine. But hang on here. If your rights, if you say it is my right not to wear a mask, and you kill me and my grandfather because you gave me COVID, and I get a little bit sick, but I kill my grandfather because he dies of COVID, well, that's actually makes you a murderer, doesn't it? So let's be clear about that. And it's about the consequences of one's actions that we all should take a little bit closer look at. Mm. It is so easy to to get, I'm offended or I'm, oh, I feel so strongly about that. It's only me who is right. Everyone else is wrong. Yeah, really? Yeah. Really. Now, I hope you guys get soon a better leadership. And I hope some common sense will finally prevail in the United States. Uh, I think it's far too late for you to do anything about it. I think you will kill a generation. Well, they're saying they're saying that the contact tracing is basically rendered useless in a number of areas now. So in Florida, for example, I saw the same yeah. the same information. So but the, it but is, the governor's insisting on the kids go back to school. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, exactly. August, we're starting next month. We're going back yeah, to school. Yeah, that's right. Cool. So there are going to be a lot of dropouts. But we have, well, we have a six-year-old, <laughs> six I mean, that he has had a good life. Come on. So let's, let's, let's just, we need to look after the economy. Okay. Don't think that. Right. Straight back to McDonald's. Come on. Share those bucks around. Come on. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very, 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 very right. sorry to hear that. But it is, the only thing you can do is, Look at what is happening. Look after yourself. That is your highest your highest priority. Look after yourself first, Mark. Then look after your immediate family. And it's the zombie apocalypse out there. You can't rescue everyone, but you can look after your family and, and you can touch the lives of the people immediately around you. And you can expand that bubble a bit by talking to me now here on, on Zoom. Yeah, I'm doing you some can, Zoom shows. And I was about to say. You, podcasts. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Tell us more about that because you are a great guy. You're, I've, I've listened to your comedy. I like your comedy. Thank um, you. So how can, how can people learn more about you? How can they well, listen to you? Of course, you can go to my website is uh, laughwithmark.com. L-A-U-G-H-W-I-T-H-M-A-R-C. My parents couldn't spell. But I think I also have Laugh with Mark with a K, just in case. So the <laughs> Laugh with Mark has a, has a link to my, uh, I have a dry bar comedy yeah. special, which is a, a, a new stream of uh, clean comedy that's been popular in the States for the last several years and most uh, downloaded comedy more than our Comedy Central or other comedy channels. Uh, so people can watch that for free on a tablet or a cell phone. I think it's like a dollar US on a TV or laptop. Um, and then, uh, it has links to Facebook and my Instagram. And I usually, I've been doing a, I'm doing a comedy series jokes from the jacuzzi all summer. So every Sunday night, my time, which, uh, I guess would be what Monday, Monday, uh, afternoon, yeah. your time yeah. uh, would be, uh, and then I put it up on Facebook and Instagram. So that's been fun. You know, it's different because I'm doing comedy. This is great. We get to interact, but 
you know, I'll do my jokes. I'll just sit there and, and just do the, do a monologue, you know, and I won't have the feedback that I'm used to with my <laughs> timing, but you know, and then my friends get on there. Hey, Marco. Yeah. Good to see you. Oh, you know, I'd like to chat with you, but it's not a Facebook conversation. I'm just trying to do the jokes. As a, uh, so then they feel like, oh, he's kind of being rude. Here's a real quick. I get on there real quick afterward. Thanks for watching. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult because it's all a new world for us. It is. It is uh, we don't know how to to communicate, and as I, I get some some interesting interesting conversations happening where people just don't click onto the 16 hour time difference or click onto to the fact that that uh, my world does not uh, surround their particular problem in their particular country um, and I'm actually here where we have got our own problems or other other faults mm -hmm. so it is what it is we're becoming more global and the global village becomes smaller and smaller so it's, it's weird mm -hmm. it's 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 an, a completely evolving thing and I think we all can learn from each other and yeah. uh, I think the the problem is there are so many problems out there and if you get focused so much on them that you will not come up for air because one problem after the other and if you really look into all the problems in all parts of the world you might as well stop there um so that's you know, that's where I'm trying to be that balance between being informed and not being overwhelmed mm. because we can't our our brain can only handle so much negativity we have to be we're here to generate positivity and that doesn't mean you can be Pollyanna and oh everything's perfect we understand mm. that yeah. but we have to, we have to be a counterbalance mm. to this craziness so I mean that's I, I think that's my service right now I'm, I'm trying my best <laughs> I was about to say that that's exactly and that's why we have got people like you there you are the prevention of The mental health. You are the the, the 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 candle in the darkness. That the light that shines uh, and puts a smile on people's faces. The the timeout uh, possibility. And I so hope that we that we see more of you out there. That uh, your also your flow of money and income gets somehow restored because I'm sure the cruise ships. Once they were probably not paying the best gigs ever, but it was yeah, a, they were good, decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, it was, and, a, and you know, there's the best food and see countries <laughs> and meet people. So it was, a, it True. was a really nice experience, and I hope True. it comes back. If it doesn't, you know, I just I have to accept it and hmm. go on to the next phase. So it's, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> have, you got, really have you got any plans? It. Do you want to give us a sneak preview uh, of uh, if there's already something out there in the recesses of your mind? What could you dream? Where do you see yourself in in two years, five years time? In two years, five years time? Oh well, I hope uh, I hope to be living in a, a, a straw bale home on a mountain <laughs> with a nice podcast, by you know, <laughs> connecting with everybody, having you on as a guest. And I, I, I really, yeah, I I, I wanted I want to uh, of course uh, have a Netflix special. My it's going to be called uh, Innocent Bystander. That's already got my name picked out, and then. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant! Then do, Brilliant! They do a nice, they do a nice social distance tour. I was going to call it Force of Nature, yeah. but Mel Gibson's coming out of the movie called Force of Nature. So, ah, you know what? That sounds too too strong anyway. So I like, like innocent bystander. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm yeah. looking forward to watching it. <laughs> All right. Well, we we look for that and coming to Netflix uh, hopefully by 2022. And uh, I also have a podcast. How does that happen? I like to interview. Uh, Um, unusual record holders and, and uh, should be record holders. I just uh, 
interviewed this uh, comedy duo in America by the name of Williams and Rias, the Indian, the white guy. 52 years they've been performing since 1968. Nonstop. Wow. They're brilliant, this comedy duo. Uh, I interviewed a 62-year-old man. He's a planking champion, you know, a plank where you on your arm, elbows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight, out, eight hours, 15 minutes, 15 seconds. <laughs> oh, oh, ow. Guinness World Record, yeah. Ouch. And then, uh, and then uh, yeah, so just crazy record holders. I interviewed a mama four. Uh, Molly Schuyler has a, a, a number of eating championships, including she ate 530-something wings in 30 minutes. <laughs> Five foot four, 117 pounds. So, yeah, that's, a, that's not a mom you want to mess with. That's all I'm saying. No, no, that's that's a force of nature. <laughs> yes. So. Oh, brilliant, Mark. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, repeat the name of your podcast because I need to... How does that happen? How does that happen? I love that. Yes. I will yeah. uh, listen to that yeah. and, and subscribe. Yeah, and if you go to my website, to Laugh with Mark, you can also link to it okay. there. And uh, feel free to subscribe. And uh, hopefully, like uh, I look forward when things settle down. I look forward. I, I actually had inquired about the New Zealand Comedy Festival just because I wanted to come your way. I visited it back. I worked for an airline in the 80s. I, I was in, I, had, I only had five days. So, you know, it's two days travel. A day and a half in Auckland and two days in Sydney. So yeah. I didn't. Really, I didn't really get to see too much of the country, but I've I've dreamed about it ever since. So I'm I'm come, I'm going to be coming to New Zealand too. It's a so. bloody lovely the country. Problems. So you look me up. You uh, drop me a line, and I'll give you a bit of a guided tour through the North okay. Island. We have got some okay. good times here. Look forward, Mark. To it. Thank you so much for coming onto my show. It was so lovely to talk to you and and learn from you. Uh, from your story and learn that that there are ways and i loved it the idea when there was an, an obstacle that you find a crevice underneath or or if there's a river you find a bridge uh, if you uh, if you know what you want to do then you can chip away at it and you have done so and became a comedian and and put your passion uh, into it and now re reap the rewards and be just beautiful, beautiful for you. So now, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It was an honor and I'm humbled that you spoke to me today. Oh, the honor is mine. Thank you so much, Stefan. <laughs> Brilliant. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Make the most out of it. This is your time. However, however, the, the universe throws challenges at you. Right now, you've got choices. Right now, that second here, you've chosen to listen to us. You hopefully are a bit spiritually motivated after listening to two of us uh, yapping away here. And now you have to just think, what would be a cool thing, a really nice thing to do for yourself or for, for the people around you? It's as simple as that. And keep doing that and look after yourself out there. Bye.